Возлюбленный Богом Церковь, начиная наше богослужение пред Господом, встанем, пожалуйста, и утвердим обетование, относящееся к преддверию нашей надежды. Да воцарится воскресение Христова в наших телах. Склоним наши головы в молитве. Дорогой Небесный Отец, во имя Иисуса Христа, мы благодарны имени Твоему Святому за вновь представленную привилегию быть на месте всем, которое очертила десница Твоя для поклонения Святому имени Твоему. И ныне позволь наследию Твоему во имя крови завета подняться на вершины для нас недосягаемые и сокрушить всякое бремя и запинающий нас грех. Да будут прокляты в этом служении, как и прежде, все дела дьявола, болезни, нищета, преждевременная смерть, демоническая зависимость, всевозможные страхи, депрессии, разрушение, косность, невежество, все это да отступит от шатров святого народа Твоего. И ныне встань, Господи, на место покоя Твоего Ты и ковчег могущества Твоего, и да облекутся святые Твои спасением Твоим, и да возрадуются пред лицом Твоим. Дай нам больше от Духа Твоего, пропитай нас Духом Твоим святым, позволь нам найти светлое лицо Твое. Я представляю это служение в Твои божественные руки, виде Его рукою превознесенную, великий Бог, Отец и Дух Святой. Аминь. Да благословит вас Господь, можете садиться.
John chapter 12, verses 4 through 6. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, Why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the money box, and he used to take what was put in it. The reason why one of the chosen apostles of Christ transformed into an enemy is based on the fact that he became a thief. Without, uh, without Jesus's, um, without his agreement, he had used the money in the money box. And this kind of unlawful use of the money that was given uh, for Jesus to use as the high priest is looked at by Scripture as, 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 as stealing from the treasure of God. Because of this, whenever a person becomes a thief, he simultaneously becomes an enemy of God. And thieves, as we know, do not inherit the kingdom of heaven. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9-10 through Do not be deceived. Thieves shall not inherit the kingdom of God. For the fall of Cherubim began when he began to steal from God. And instead of giving God that which was in his authority but did not belong to him, he started to place it into his treasury or rather to steal it. This is what Ezekiel says, Ezekiel chapter 8, verses 4 through 7. With your wisdom and your understanding, you have gained riches for yourself and gathered gold and silver into your treasuries. By your great wisdom in trade, you have increased your riches, and your heart is lifted up because of your riches. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, because you have set your heart as the heart of a God, behold, therefore I will bring strangers against you, the most terrible nation, and they shall draw their swords against the beauty of your wisdom and defile your splendor. That which the cherubim had was the gift of God, and instead of re-addressing this glory to God, he attributed it to himself among the angels, and in doing so, he stole from God. In doing so, each person, so each person who attributes to himself the revelation that does not belong to him personally, but belongs to another, and as soon as he attributes it to himself as if it would had come from him, he becomes the same thief. A person who attributes to himself tithes that do not belong to him, but belongs to God, he is called a thief. In order to, to avoid being a thief, it's necessary, so the tithe, it's necessary that the tithes and offerings that are in our belonging or control but belong to God um, went into the, the property of God. It's necessary for it to be in the heavenly treasury, the, which we know here on earth is our local church. Matthew 6, 19-21. Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. 
If the treasury of Judah were to be found among him or not among him, but in heaven, because it was uh, in his, the money box was with him, if it would be in heaven and his treasure would have been God, devil as a professional thief would not have had the opportunity чтобы не казаться вором, и затем предателям необходимо, чтобы деньги перестали быть нашим сотрудничеством. Based on Scripture, this can occur when we simultaneously we are supposed to simultaneously place our tithes and offerings in the heavenly treasury, which on earth are those local churches, members of which we are, with which we are, which with which we are tied and tied in it together. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and try me now in this, as the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for such blessing, for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. Those who are dependent on money already according to their state in relation to God are thieves because they worship not God but money behind which stands the demonic prince of Mammon. That which we depend on is our deity. Let us remember this. For each time we honor God in tithes and offerings, we cut the root of all evil which is money. It is love toward money, dependence on money that is the root of all evil, but authority over money is the root of all good. We are going to honor God with tithes and offerings, worship Him in tithes and offerings, and we are going to sing together. Without this kind of worship in which our hands will be filled with tithes and offerings, our worship loses its significance. Not just that, but we can't even find ourselves in the courts of God, although we are found in church. Because the doors to the gates of the Lord are open when we honor God in tithes and offerings and when we worship Him, when we express our love toward Him, when we acknowledge His authority. Let us stand and honor God and search for His countenance. I will remind you that each time Israel had honored God with tithes and offerings, either in the tabernacle of Moses or in the temple of Solomon, they were called to, according to the words of Moses that he had received as a revelation from God, to raise their hands on their offerings and to proclaim one unique proclamation that they were faithful to for thousands of years. We, being that same Israel, tied to that same root, drinking from the same tree, will do the same thing. Please raise your right hands, a symbol of your righteous act, over your offerings, and pray along with me. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I have separated the tithes from my home and brought them into your home, so that your home may have food. I do not give impurely, I do not give in sorrow, and denied, I do not give for the dead. I rejoice that I have the privilege 
to express my love and to acknowledge your authority. And according to your word, I ask you, let your heavenly windows be opened and may your blessings come down abundantly upon your redeemed nation. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Amen. May the Lord bless you. You may be seated. Субтитры 
вечерней чуткой тишине Сидят Христа ученики И молча слушают учителя слова
And so those who have a Bible, you can open along with me to a familiar place of scripture to us so that we can restore, restore it in our memory because it contains the deepest mysteries of the relationship between God and man. Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 16. Thus says the Lord, Stand in the ways and see, and ask for the ancient paths, where the good way is, and walk in it. Then you will find rest for your souls. Considering that the law of Moses was not called to bring God's chosen remnant to peace, this ancient path of goodness was the path by which Adam was brought to rest in God. Enoch walked before God and then was taken by God. Noah walked before God and received a revelation about the building of the ark and was saved by the floods of the mighty waters. And Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob who walked before God. The eternal God called Israel, which includes us, to this ancient path of goodness and the dignity of the ancient faith teaching. Deuteronomy chapter 33, verse 47. The eternal God is your refuge, and underneath are the everlasting arms. He will thrust out the enemy from before you and will say, destroy. Deuteronomy 33:27. Ancient means having no beginning nor the end of days. Days. Former God of your fathers being revealed from the paths of the east. This is the meaning of the of the uh, word eternal or ancient. To be found underneath the everlasting arms of the eternal God, it was necessary to discover the ancient paths of goodness. And therefore, this sermon I would like to continue is called Return to the Ancient Paths of Goodness. And as we know, the opportunity to find the ancient paths of goodness is the opportunity to enter to the kingdom of heaven through narrow gates, which in Scripture are defined as the elementary principles, or rather, the reigning teaching of Jesus Christ who came in the flesh. This, in fact, is a totality of truths flowing from each other, confirming the truth of each other. The, the dignity of which we can be clothed in only through discipleship in hearing the preached word about the nature and powers of the kingdom of heaven. The essence of the kingdom of heaven itself, which Christ called the gospel kingdom, is characterized in Christ's reigning teaching by such earthly qualities as righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Romans chapter 14, verse 17. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Speaking of these three qualities, which characterize the kingdom of heaven within man, we must remember that this passage of Scripture is not telling us to obtain these qualities, but to proclaim and demonstrate them. You are the light of the world. Let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Matthew chapter 5, verses 14-16 to, to search for the kingdom of heaven as the ancient path of goodness should be done through the fruit of righteousness, peace, and joy which abide in the depths of the Holy Spirit. And as we previously noted, very few are able to find the ancient path of goodness in the subject of narrow gates in the reading 
of Jesus Christ who came in the flesh. Only the chosen will find it. According to the repeated statements of Christ, many who, due to their own cruelty and ignorance, will not be able to find the narrow gates in the reading teaching of Christ. They will begin to approach it as a heretical error, as a result of which they will inherit eternal perdition. But those who humble their heart before God and become his disciple in order to enter through the narrow gates expressed in the reigning teaching of Jesus Christ will inherit eternal life. Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go in by it, because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. Matthew 7, verse 13 to 14. While studying the ancient paths of goodness, we turn to the words of Apostle Paul, who, according to the mercy and inspiration of the Holy Spirit, in short and concise definitions, was able to formulate the order that is present in the teaching of Christ. This is practically the image of the four rivers flowing out of Eden for the nourishing for the irrigation of the garden, which are the prototype of the four main, four main reigning teachings of Christ, each of which has a triplicity of different functions, which total 12. The number 12 is the image and standard of the 12 hours in a day. This is the image of light yielding the order of the kingdom of heaven and the 12 gates of the new Jerusalem and the 12 foundations of its wall. Therefore, Hebrews chapter 6, 1 through 2, a new version of the translation according to uh, the Hebrew and the Greek text. Therefore, being sprinkled in the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms, of laying on of hands, of resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. Four sides of light, four dimensions, four teachings. In a certain format, as much as God and the level of our faith have allowed us, we've already studied the doctrine of baptisms, which expresses itself in baptism in water, Holy Spirit, and fire. And we have stopped to study the doctrine of laying on of hands that is presented on the southern side of New Jerusalem in the three gates. And he showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. It had twelve gates and names written on them, which are the names of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel. Three gates on the east, three gates on the north, three gates on the south, and three gates on the west. We are currently studying the southern gates because the doctrine of laying on of hands are the three southern gates representing the doctrine of laying on of hands. It's an image of the power that are contained on the southern side of the sanctuary, on which stood a golden lamp symbolizing the mind of Christ in a reborn spirit, thanks to which a holy person could penetrate the thoughts of God and keep a covenant made with God, the foundation of which will allow him to enter through the narrow gates and inherit the kingdom of heaven. 
Consider the fact that a covenant between man and God is made in three baptisms, we can conclude that the doctrine of laying on of hands contains three levels of a covenant with God. This is first a covenant of blood, which is called to sanctify us and give God the opportunity to write the name that we are given by him in the book of life, so that this name could serve as a seal of righteousness before God. Because the seal of righteousness that we acquire upon making a covenant of blood and water baptism is a new name given by God to a new creation, which contains our divine fate in God in the subject of our calling. Second, the covenant of salt is called to give us the opportunity to hallow God in our bodies and souls, which are essentially God's. We can make this covenant only in baptism in the Holy Spirit. And the covenant of rest is called to demonstrate the results of the holiness that we carry in our bodies and souls. We can make this covenant only in fire baptism. The conclusion and functions of these three covenants are called to be made, flow, and abide in the three baptisms. This is baptism in water, baptism in the Holy Spirit, and baptism in fire. John answered, saying to all, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I is coming, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to lose. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Luke 3.16 Therefore, the doctrine of laying on of hands is a doctrine about a covenant made between God and man, and man and God. The doctrine of laying on of hands is an image of the legal aspect in which a person with his own hand signs an agreement with God in which he consciously promises to serve God with a good conscience. Making this kind of contract in all three levels will always be tied to the presentation of our body as a living, holy, and pleasing sacrifice to God for reasonable service. That is why any sacrifice brought to God was called to be brought only when a hand was laid on its head. Then he shall put his hand on the head of the burnt offering, and it will be accepted on his behalf to make atonement for him. Leviticus 1.4 Atonement for sin through the laying on of the hand on the head of the sacrifice, which in the face of the Son of Man takes sin upon itself, is accepting justification in which God does not impute sin to man. The laying on of hands is an image of proclaiming the faith of our heart in that Jesus is Lord and that God has resurrected him for our justification. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Romans chapter 10 verses 9 through 10. The doctrine of laying on of hands outside of the norms of the covenant and not according to the norms of the covenant will not in favor in the atonement for sins. According to scripture, we have three levels of a covenant that pursue one goal but fulfill three different functions. First, the covenant between God and man and the doctrine of laying on of hands is presented in the three great names Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Second, the covenant between God and man and the doctrine of laying on of hands is presented in the three names that are on the foundations of the wall of New Jerusalem. These are John, Philip, and Bartholomew. 
Third, the covenant between God and man and the doctrine of laying on of hands is a covenant that is everlasting, firm, and immutable. Fourth, the covenant between God and man and the doctrine of laying on of hands is a kind of agreement about what relations in collaboration will look like. That is expressed in the person's right to enter into the sovereign presence of God and for God to enter into the sovereign presence of man. Fifth, the covenant between God and man and the doctrine of laying on of hands is the collaboration of the mind of Christ with the mind of man. Sixth, the covenant between God and man and the doctrine of laying on of hands is legal possession of each other and identification in each other. Seventh, the covenant between God and man and the doctrine of laying on of hands is the transferring of sovereign powers and authority to one another. And eighth, the covenant between God and man and the doctrine of laying on of hands is the responsibility of preparing an ark for the salvation of our household. There exist many different kinds of other varieties that are found in Scripture, but I'm mentioning only eight because I'm talking about a covenant, and a covenant has the number eight contained in it. On the eighth day, a child was circumcised. On the eighth day, a covenant was made. In a certain format, we have already studied the covenant of blood. Therefore, let us turn to study the second level of the covenant. This is the covenant of salt which is the fifth foundation of the New Jerusalem and is made of the precious sardonic stone. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with all kinds of precious stones, the fifth sardonyx. Revelation chapter 21, verse 20. This is a special kind of onyx, which in turn is a type of chalcedony. This stone has a bright, fiery red color with alternating white, pink, and blue parallel layers with a soft, deep, and silky shade. As far as we know, Sardonyx, in the form of Onyx, was on the breastplate of judgment of the high priest, and therefore, when it came to the powers of Sardonyx, then God, through Urim and Thummim, used the functions and voice of salt. And therefore, the function of the fifth foundation of the wall of heavenly Jerusalem are in the powers contained in the covenant of salt. In relation to which, Jesus once said these words, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. The phrase, you are the salt of the earth, means that you have stepped into the covenant of salt with me, in which you promise to be representative of the powers that are contained in the covenant of salt. Therefore, in representing my covenant of salt, which you entered in with me upon offering a sacrifice, you carry full responsibility for fulfilling to obligations you took upon yourself. Gather my saints together to me, those who have made a covenant with me by sacrifice of the heavens to clear his righteousness, for God himself is judge. Psalms 50 verses 5 through 6. In scripture, any covenant that God made with man always included a sacrifice that pointed to the blood of Jesus Christ that was spilled, testifying of his death which in the reading teaching of Christ meant that any covenant that God made with a person was made in baptism, which always pointed to the presence of the sacrificial death of Christ. And as we had previously mentioned, if making a covenant of blood was called to occur in water baptism, then making a covenant of salt can only occur in baptism in the Holy Spirit 
which, upon our collaboration with the Holy Spirit, was called to separate us from the vain life of our fathers, so that in this manner we can sanctify God in our bodies and our souls. The covenant of salt as an agreement can lose its power only in one case. If one of the sides of the agreement does not understand its powers, or on the contrary, the powers of the covenant are understood, but this side refuses to fulfill its obligations, because the words... The words that have come from the mouth of God and bound God to fulfill his role in the covenant of salt are unquestioning and unchanging, because of which, in his oath spoken in the covenant with man, God can never violate the obligations that he takes upon himself. Psalms 89 verses 34-37 My covenant I will not break, nor alter the word that has gone out of my lips. Once I have sworn by my holiness, I will not lie to David. His seed shall endure forever, and his throne as the sun before me, shall be established forever like the moon, even like the faithful witness in the sky. In another place of scripture, God compares the action of his covenant to rain and snow, which always fulfill their purpose on earth, despite all circumstances. Isaiah chapter 55 verses 10 through 11. For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth and make it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. If a person truly desires and he longs for heavenly manna, for manna, then God will send it. And he says he will give it to only one, to only the one who will eat of it. And he gives the seed only to the one who sows it in himself. To fully understand the essence of the precious sardonic stone that represents and contains the powers of the covenant of salt, we, like in the previous foundation, should look at the name of the Apostle that was engraved on the fifth precious stone, because the name of the Apostle will yield the dignity and a nature of Sardonyx, which in this foundation will represent the powers of the covenant of salt. Whereas the Sardonyx foundation itself will yield the work of salt that God will perform through the powers that are contained in the name of the Apostle that is engraved on this foundation. The name of the Apostle that was engraved on the fifth foundation of the wall of the heavenly Jerusalem was the name Philip. Now the names of the twelve Apostles are these, first Simon who was called Peter, and Andrew his brother, James the son of Zebedee, and John his brother, Philip. Matthew chapter 10 verse 2. As we already know, the name Philip means lover of horses. In other words, the meaning of this name reveals a special love of God toward horses, which surpasses our mind is engraved on the fifth foundation of heavenly Jerusalem. God's love for horses that is incomprehensible to our mind is the meaningful and voluntary dependence of God on horses. Because true love is always a dependency that forces one to serve, to devote, and to dissolve in one's beloved. 
we should note that in the meaning of the name Philip, we are referring to God's love that is only toward those horses that are his belonging and are sent by him to sanctify him and represent the interests of his holiness. Because in Scripture, salt is a metaphor of the Holy Spirit in which he demonstrates the holiness of God. Because of which the powers of the covenant of salt and the fifth foundation are expressed in the functions of a horse that is God's belonging. A horse is a symbol of battle. This is not a symbol of peace. Therefore, in the fifth foundation, the purpose of a battle horse is called to lead the battles of God. Because to hallow God means to honor him and to demonstrate his holiness. The horse is prepared for the day of battle, but deliverance is of the Lord. Proverbs 21, 31. Thus, the name Philip that is on the fifth foundation of the wall of heavenly Jerusalem made of sardonic stone means the calling to praise God in our bodies and souls in a kind of format that will honor and hallow God on the basis of the requirements that are contained in the power of the covenant of salt. And so the first power contained in the name Philip, who represents the function of a battle horse, is called to glorify God in our bodies and souls, which are God's indeed. 1 Corinthians 6.20 For you were bought at a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, soul, which are God's. Glorify God in your body and your soul, which are God's. When we are referring to horses that belong to God, God views these horses as us. He views His Son, Jesus Christ. He looks at the Holy Spirit to those who represent Him. According to the meaning of this passage, to glorify God in our body and soul is to hallow God in our body and soul. And to hallow God in our body and soul is to lead the battle for the territorial preservation of our bodies and souls. We have noted that when leading his battles, God never encroaches on someone else's and never captures the territory that doesn't belong to him. God leads battles only for those territories that had previously belonged to him, but then, for certain reasons, were captured by his enemies in the territories for which he leads his battles so that they once again be in his possession is referring to the category of people whom God calls his own, holy, his belonging, his own. Matthew chapter 1, verses 20 through 23. The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit, and she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. For he shall save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. So, his own people, God wants to tell them that wherever you may be, whatever captivity you might find yourselves in, God is with you, who will lead you out of captivity. He has held captivity captive. The second power contained in the name Philip, who represents the function of a battle horse, is called to make us dependent on the Holy Spirit so that we can be led by the Holy Spirit. 
Isaiah chapter 63, verses 12 through 14, who led them by the right hand of Moses with his glorious arm, dividing the water before them to make for himself an everlasting name, who led them through the deep as a horse in the wilderness, that they might not stumble. As a beast goes down into the valley, and the Spirit of the Lord causes him to rest, so you lead your people to make yourself a glorious name. When God refers to his battle horse, he represents himself in the quality of a rider who controls his battle horse. A battle horse that does not stumble under his rider is an image and prototype of the category of people who are led by the Holy Spirit. Because the horse that stumbles represents a category of people who are led by alcohol and the desires of their soul, which is viewed as their dependency on their intellect and demonic seduction. Isaiah 28, verses 7 through 8. But they also have erred through wine, and through intoxicating drink are out of the way. The priest and the prophet have erred through intoxicating drink. They are swallowed up by wine. They are out of the way through intoxicating drink. They err in vision. They stumble in judgment. For all tables are full of vomit and filth. No place is clean. According to definitions from Scripture, people who are led by their own intellectual capabilities and their own lusts are people who praise their own intellect and their desires. Because our deity and our worship is that power that we trust in and allow to control us. In his time, God called his people to not be this foolish horse that constantly must be harnessed with bit and bridle so that it's a Do not be like the horse or like the mule, which have no understanding, which must be harnessed with bit and bridle, else they will not come near you. Psalms 32, 9. The dog is our lips or weapon with which we must control our essence. Being led by the Holy Spirit is the ability to give glory to God or sanctify God. And this is possible only in one case. When we have hope in God based on the authority of the covenant of salt. Otherwise, we will stumble on the dark mountains. And when we look for the light, God will turn hope for this light into the shadow of death. Jeremiah 13:16. Give glory to the Lord your God because, or before he causes darkness, and before your feet stumble on the dark mountains, and while you are looking for light, he turns it into the shadow of death and makes it dense darkness. The third power contained in the name Philip, who represents the function of a battle horse, is the ability to possess our vessel in sanctification and honor. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 3-5 through 5. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. We specifically stop to talk about this name because the meaning of this name yields the nature of the covenant of salt. People who God calls his own are vessels of honor that, through the powers contained in the covenant of salt, can possess the vessel of their heart in sanctification and honor, and not in passion of lust, like the Gentiles who do not know God do. As vessels of honor and properties of God, we can find ourselves in captivity of our own flesh or wicked people who had previously dedicated themselves to God when they were given the authority to be vessels of honor. But after some time, their hearts were puffed up and their spirit was hardened to insolence. 
And instead of possessing vessels of honor for the Lord, out of selfish motives, they began to possess these vessels for themselves. An example of such audacity, which can be seen everywhere nowadays in the face of so of many so-called shepherds, we will look at the historic event in which the main character became Belshazzar. He was the king of Babylon who inherited this throne from his grandfather, Nebuchadnezzar. Having drunk the wine dissolved by his wise men, he demanded they, that they bring him the vessels from the house of God that was in Jerusalem and began to drink from them the wine dissolved by his wise men. He was supposed to observe them. God had passed them along to Nebuchadnezzar, and Nebuchadnezzar knew what they meant. He had put them in a different sanctuary and he had kept them safe and he never used them because this was a belonging of God and he had honored them. But his, his grandson blew up. He began to drink from these vessels and under the influence of the swine he began to praise the gods of gold and silver and copper, iron, wood and stone. But God in whose hand was his breath and in whom all his ways are, he did not glorify. And then suddenly a hand appeared which began to write something on the wall of the royal palace which was illuminated by lamps. This supernatural phenomenon shocked the presumptuous monarch so much that his face changes. His thoughts embarrassed him, his loins became weak, and his knees began to beat one against the other. And then he screamed strongly in fear and demanded that all his wise men gather for and interpret the inscription that his hand had written on the wall of his palace. But none of his wise men could explain and interpret the words written on the wall. And then, on the advice of his wife, Daniel was invited. At that, Daniel had worked previously for Nebuchadnezzar. He had helped interpret dreams. Belshazzar said to Daniel, I have heard of you that you can give interpretations and explain enigmas. Now, if you can read the writing and make known to me its interpretation, you shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around your neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. But before this, he was a second ruler. Daniel was the second one. Uh, he, upon Nebuchadnezzar, he was a second ruler, and he had this gold around his neck, and he was clothed in this purple. But now, Belshazzar had given it over to Nebuchadnezzar. He says to him, I will make you a third ruler in the kingdom, and I will give you a gold chain around your neck, and will clothe you in purple, because purple was, uh, this is a sign of earthly glory. It was, only kings were clothed in it. He said, I'll give you all of this if you do this for me. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, let your gifts be for yourself and give your rewards to another. Yet I will read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation. 
Vishnu, O King, the Most High God, give Nebuchadnezzar, your father, a kingdom and majesty, glory and honor. Because of the majesty that he gave him, all peoples, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him. Whoever he wished, he executed. Whoever he wished, he kept alive. Whoever he wished, he set up. And whoever he wished, he put down. But when his heart was lifted up, and his fear was hardened in pride, he was deposed from his kingly throne, and they took his glory from him. And he was driven from the sons of men. His heart was made like the beasts, and his dwelling was with the wild donkeys. He fed him with grass like oxen, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven. For he knew the Most High God rules in the kingdom of men, and appoints over it whomever he chooses. Поэтому я поклоняюсь и хвалю Преснасущного. Это были слова Новоходоносора. Nebuchadnezzar is an image of our intellect made dependent. Nebuchadnezzar, the mind, was supposed to depend on the spirit, on the heart, on Daniel that was given to him. But you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, although you knew all this. You have lifted yourself up against the Lord of heaven. You have brought the vessels of his house before you. Take a look at how the intellect is capable of distort or break its relationship with God. And you and your lords, your wives and your concubines, have drunk wine before them. You have praised the gods of silver and gold, bronze and iron, wood and stone, which do not see or hear or know. And the God who holds your breath in his hand and owns all your ways, you have not glorified. Then the fingers of the hand were sent from him, and this writing was written. And this is the Scripture that was written. This is the covenant of salt. This is that which the covenant of salt will do with the name Philip, with the name of the battle horse. Here is this battle horse, Daniel. Hallowed unto God. It says, Mene, Mene, Tekel, Uforsin. This is the interpretation of each word. Mene, God has numbered your kingdom and finished it. Tekel, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Paris, your kingdom has been divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Then Belshazzar gave the command, and they clothed Daniel with purple and put a chain of gold around his neck, and made a proclamation concerning him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. That very night, Belshazzar, king of Chaldeans, was slain, and Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being 62 years old, and he had restored Daniel um, where he belonged, and he had made him the ruler of his courts. This historic event is not just an example of the audacity with which people neglect the authority contained in the blood of the covenant, but it also is an example of how God leads his battles for those territories and those people with whom he stands with in a covenant of salt that proceeds and is founded on the covenant of blood. It is a covenant of salt that points out that people who are found in this covenant are led by the Holy Spirit, thanks to which God received the ability to lead his battles for their liberation from the vain life of their fathers and persecution from the wicked. Fourth, the power contained in the name Philip, who represents the function of a battle horse, is called to destroy riders in the face of shepherds and goat herds that do not belong to God, although they portray themselves as though they do. Zechariah chapter 10, verse 3 through 5. My anger is kindled against the shepherds and I will punish the goat herds, for the Lord of hosts will visit his flock. 
the house of Judah and will make them as his royal force in the battle. From him comes the cornerstone, from him the tent peg, from him the battle bow, from him every ruler together. This shall be like mighty men who tread down their enemies in the mire of the streets and in the battle. They shall fight because the Lord is with them, and their riders and horses shall be put to shame. On a global scale, the glorious battle horse represented by the people chosen by God will put the horse riders to shame in the face of satanic gatherings who call themselves Jews but are not so. Just like God, on the eve of the rapture of the prophet Elijah, he shamed the worshippers of Baal who claimed to worship the true Yahweh. The fifth component of the power contained in the name Philip represents the function of a battle horse. It's called to destroy the nations that are warring with God with a sharp sword that is in the mouth of the rider. Revelation 19.11-16 saw heaven opened and behold a white horse and he who sat on him was called faithful and true and in righteousness he judges and makes war his eyes were like a flame of fire and on his head were many crowns he had a name written that no one knew except himself he was clothed with a robe dipped in blood and his name is called the word of God and the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations. And he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. He has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Lord of Lords. In this case, the battle horse and rider are one unit. A battle horse is a body that is offered as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God for reasonable service on our end. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. When we present ourselves to God as being alive from the dead, and our members as instruments of righteousness to God, we become the mouth of God, from which goes a sharp sword, so that with it we could strike the nations warring against God. God isn't going to... Uh, destroy them with a sword that comes from his mouth. Yes, it comes from his mouth, but he gives this sword, he delegates it to those who are his followers. It is they who must do the sword, it is they who he will do actions on earth. When we refuse to represent ourselves as being alive from the dead and our members as instruments of righteousness, we are transformed into a horse that stumbles and challenges God, because of which God vomits us out of his mouth. And our mouth begins to carry disbelief in the promises of God, for which God carries a responsibility in the covenant of salt. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot, so then because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Revelation chapter 3, verses 15 through 16. 
He, from his mouth comes a sword with which he destroys. Um, practically, the phrase, I will vomit you out of my mouth, basically means, I will blot your name out of the book of life. Those who have violated the covenant of salt are impossible to renew again with repentance because they refuse to carry the patience of Christ. If in the blood of the covenant a person can be renewed, in the covenant of salt this is impossible. Because they refuse to carry the patience of Christ, they again crucify the Son of God in themselves. Then Moses returned to the Lord and said, Oh, these people have committed a great sin and have made for themselves a God of gold. Yet now, if you will forgive their sin, but if not, I pray, blot me out of your book which you have written. Because God said, I will blot them out. He said, Well, then blot me out as well. And the Lord said to Moses, Whoever has sinned against me, I will blot him out of my book. Now therefore, so it's the one who had violated the covenant of salt. After that, let them pray however much they want. Let them evangelize, sing songs, rejoice. Everything will remain the same. But this is already um, displeasing to God. And today, there are so many of these kind of congregations, so many of these kind of people who die, who are buried, who are sent to the kingdom of heaven when they die, and only then will it be known that they have in fact gone down to hell. God said to Moses, whoever has sinned against me, I will blot him out of my book. Now therefore go, be the people to the place of which I have spoken to you. Behold, my angel shall go before you. Nevertheless, in the day when I visit for punishment, I will visit punishment upon them for their sin. So the Lord plagued the people because of what they did with the calf which Aaron made. Exodus chapter 32, verses 31 to 35. When will I do it? And the day of um, the day of harvest. Let them continue to mature, to grow. I will keep them for this day. They're going to think that this is my mercy upon them. They're going to think that they're not disappearing according to the mercy of God. And they're going to say, Lord, thank you. According to the mercy of God, we have not disappeared. But in fact, this is a mercy. They have not disappeared because God is keeping them from the, for the day of judgment. The sixth power contained in the name Philip, who represents the function of a battle force, is called to, through the sharp two-edged sword that comes from the mouth of God, take hold of the key positions of hell and death. Revelation chapter 1, verses 16 through 17. He had in his right hand seven stars. Out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the shining sun in its strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, Do not be afraid, I am the first and the last. According to this place of scripture, it follows that he who sits on a white horse, out of whose mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, who had in his right hand seven stars, is one in the same face who represents the functions and powers of the covenant of salt in a sharp two-edged sword. And these powers contained in the name Philip tell us that the Son of God in the covenant of salt was always the first and the last which means that at the head of every action that is directed to hallow God according to the requirements of the covenant of salt, he was always the beginning and the end of the beginning. 
и всяким завершением этого начала, как, впрочем, и сам заявлял о себе, если не привлечет его отец мой. From these words, we conclude that in order to hallow God, we must know how we should begin to hallow God and how we should conclude what we have begun. The path to God, expressed in the fruit of holiness in Christ Jesus, is in fact liberation from slavery unto sin and total sanctification that allows us to be clothed in the dignity of slaves unto the Lord, which is expressed in total dedication. But now, having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness in the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans chapter 6, verses 22 to 23. And of course, in order to hallow God, it is necessary to destroy the works of devil or to trample on the powers of darkness. Just as salt destroys the process of decay in those products that are immersed into a solution of salt, the works of devil can be destroyed in man through the powers that are contained in the covenant of salt. Когда мы погрузимся в этот завет и изучим, как с ним соработать, тогда дела дьявола в нашем теле будут уничтожены. When we are immersed into this covenant and when we study how to collaborate with it, then the works of devil in our body will be destroyed. Some people think that to trample on the works of devil means to say, Satan, I trample on you and let's then send him from Rome to Moscow or into Kiev. And then the rest will say, how come you send him to us? Send him somewhere else. We um, are going to break off our relationship with you because you've sent him to us. This kind of foolishness tells us that people are so foolish, have drink some kind of wine, who knows what kind, and simply don't understand what the covenant of blood is, what the covenant of salt is, how to take these powers and how to trample on devil. You can't trample on him. We need to trample in ourselves. We can't trample on him without trampling on him within ourselves. Because behind the flesh stands devil. What is a flesh? Flesh is the musical instrument of devil. When you destroy the flesh, devil will have nothing, no instrument to play on. He won't have anyone to play on. And then you will give your body over to weapons of righteousness. In other words, we can become battle forces of the Lord only in one case, when we honor the agreement contained in the covenant of salt that we made with God in baptism in the Holy Spirit. And we can honor this agreement contained in the covenant of salt when we gladly and willingly use all our capabilities. All our, our whole strength. Pursue peace with all people in holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. Hebrews 12, 14. Seventh, the power contained in the name Philip, who represents the function of a battle horse, is called to, through a sharp two-edged sword that comes from the mouth of God, hold fast to the name of God. These things says he who has a sharp two-edged sword. I know your works and where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, and you hold fast to my name. And did not deny my faith even the days in which Antipas was my faithful martyr, who was killed among you where Satan dwells. Revelation 2, 12-13. A sharp two-edged sword is the word of God that proceeds from the mouth of God in the full mind of the faith of God, the preached word about the kingdom of heaven. 
which his messengers, as battle horses of the Heavenly Father, accepted in their heart, and then, under inspiration from the Holy Spirit, proclaimed it. Because it is the word of God that is this kind of sword. Hebrews 4, 12-13 For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. It is it who pierces even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. There is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom he must give account. Thus, to hold fast the name of God, or to the word of God, it is necessary to have a mouth out of which a sharp two-edged sword might come. And for this purpose, it is necessary to be a battle horse, whose rider could be the Holy Spirit of God. And to be this battle horse, it is necessary to partake the powers contained in the covenant of salt. Therefore, the phrase, hold fast to my name, means to be strengthened by the powers of the name of the Lord. You contain my name, to be overpowered and overcome by the powers of the name of the Lord, to take by force and seize by the powers of the name of the Lord, to show yourself as strong by the powers of the name of the Lord. We are no longer unaware that based on the promise we have, the name of the one with a double-edged sword, which we are called to hold fast to, is Philip, in which the the dignity of the servant of the Lord is hidden to be the battle horse of God or a vessel of honor which should be useful for the master and prepared for every good work. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he shall be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. 2 Timothy 2.21 Every good work in this case are the works of God that he wanted to do by the powers of his name and in the limits of the fifth foundation of the wall of heavenly Jerusalem through the name Philip, which presented in this foundation in the dignity of a battle horse. Thus, then they said to him, What shall we do that we may work the works of God? Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God that you believe in him whom he sent. John 6, 27-28 According to the powers of the fifth foundation which defines the essence and nature of every good work, it follows that every good work is the ability to hold fast to the name of the Lord and the dignity of a battle horse. Therefore, good works that do not hold fast to the name of the Lord and the dignity of a battle horse cannot be called good works. In order to practice good works, it is necessary to understand that if with the power of the covenant of salt we try to fulfill or affirm good works that are contained in the vision and powers of the covenant of blood or the vision and powers of the covenant of salt, then this work will not be good. Because every good work with which we are called to hallow and praise God must have its own time, its own place, its own name, and its specific goal. For example, the sowing of a good seed is a good deed. But if we begin to sow a good seed in the autumn and not the spring, this deed is no longer good. 
Second, when you begin to sow wherever you please and not in those limits that God had determined for sowing in the subject of your congregation, then this deed is no longer good. Third, if you begin to sow in your own name, just as Ananias and Sapphira had done, then this deed is no longer good. Fourth, if upon sowing you pursue some kind of material goal and not an imperishable goal expressed in searching for God or honoring God, then this deed is no longer good. Imperishable seeds are the promises of the future that belong to an imperishable inheritance. Imperishable seeds can vary, and every one of them has its own body that is contained in this seed. By accepting in our heart the seed of promise or fertilizing ourselves with the seed of promise, we practice good works. By keeping and cultivating the seed of promise, we also practice good works. By bearing fruit from the seed of promise, whether it be the fruit of joy, peace, love, or the patience of Christ, we also practice good works. And the last component of the power contained in the name Philip, who represents the function of a battle horse, is called to destroy with the fire of zeal those who call evil good, and who call good evil, who call darkness light, in light darkness, and who call bitter sweet and sweet bitter. This is written in Isaiah chapter 5, verses 20 through 30. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. Woe to men mighty at drinking wine. Woe to men valiant for mixing intoxicating drink, who justify the wicked for a bribe and take away justice from the righteous man. Therefore, as the fire devours the stubble and the flame consumes the chafe, so their root will be as rottenness, and their blossom will ascend like dust, because they have rejected the law of the Lord of hosts and despise the word of the Holy One of Israel. Therefore, the anger of the Lord is aroused against his people. He has stretched out his hand against them and stricken them, and the hills trembled. Their carcasses were as refused in the midst of the streets. For all this, his anger is not turned away, but his hand is stretched out still. He will lift up a banner to the nations from afar and will whistle to them from the end of the earth. Surely they shall come with speed swiftly. No one will be weary and stumble among them. No one will slumber or sleep, nor will the belt or the loins be loosed, nor the strap of their sandals be broken, whose arrows are sharp and all their bows bent. Their horses' hooves will seem like flint and their wheels like a whirlwind. Their roaring will be like a lion. They will roar like young lions. Yes, they will roar and they hold and they lay hold of the prey. They will carry it away safely and no one will deliver. In that day they will roar against them like the roaring of the sea. And if one looks to the land, behold darkness and sorrow and the light is dark by the clouds. This is talking about this small flock, these courses, they're going to cause horror when God calls them in the day of judgment to judge those people who called white, black, and black, white, who were um, wise in their own eyes, who who were valiant for mixing intoxicating drink. These righteous are going to be like these lions who are roaring and taking hold of the prey. This is also written 
about this um, this idea in Joel chapter 2 verses 1 through 11 blow the trumpet in Zion and sound an alarm in my holy mountain let all the inhabitants of the land tremble for the day of the Lord is coming for it is at hand a day of darkness and gloominess a day of clouds and thick darkness like the morning clouds spread over the mountains a people come great and strong the like of whom have never been nor will there ever be any such after them here he calls this people a multitude many because this small flock is going to take all the strength that were that the saints had before them who are already in heaven with the Lord. And here is what it says about these strong people. A fire devours before them, and behind them a flame burns. The land is like the Garden of Eden before them, and behind them a desolate wilderness. Surely nothing shall escape them. Their appearance is like the appearance of horses and like swift steeds, so they run. With a noise like chariots over mountaintops they leap, like the noise of a flaming fire that devours a stubble, like a strong people set in battle array. So when, before rapture, God will rapture the small flocks, and it momentarily will expand, because today it can't be seen among, among these tolerant congregations. They run to and fro in the city, they run on the wall, they climb into the houses, they enter at the windows like a thief. The earth quakes before them, the heavens tremble, the sun and moon grow dark, and the stars diminish their brightness. The Lord gives voice before his army, for his camp is very great. For strong is the one who executes his word, for the day of the Lord is great and very terrible. Who can endure it? This is all that we have all that we have talked about is or are the components that are found in the name of the battle horse in the name Philip who is going to yield the covenant of salt that we are going to talk about more uh, if God allows us to on Sunday what God had contained in the covenant of salt and what the properties of it are right now we're going to pray let us bow our heads before God and let the Lord bless us in hearing and accepting these good words Heavenly Father we are grateful to your holy name for the greatness of your word that you represent for us as your power the power that is unknown to this world the power that is unknown to the worshippers of Baal when you demonstrate it you will bring to, to turmoil all of the peoples just as you had brought through Elijah all of Israel to turmoil, all the prophets of Baal had fell at his sword, after which you had resurrected, raptured him from the ground. You are preparing your inheritance. You are sending to your people bread through your messengers and giving the opportunity for them to drink water from the vessel. Blessed are you, Lord. Power and greatness goes before you. You will show the difference between those who served you 
and those who did not serve you. Let your words be fulfilled and let your promises come to power upon your inheritance who accept these words and is able to keep and hold on to the word of patience. May the fulfiller of your word be blessed. We thank you that you have allowed us to enter into battle uh, the covenant of salt so that we can keep ourselves as your vessels in honor. And despite the fact that we have ended up in captivity of a certain king, still you will fulfill judgment over this king. And your vessels are going to once again be returned to Jerusalem. May this city be blessed across the whole earth because this is the congregation of your holy nation out of every tongue, tribe that stands before your countenance as one city with 12 gates. This is your unique order that you have made in these 12 astonishing teachings with which you will destroy the enemy, destroy every philosopher, destroy every wise person who has tried to, with his intellect, do something. They had prepared the wine for themselves and drank from it. We thank you, Lord, that we are able to bow down before you, that we are able to honor you, to thank you, to glorify and honor you. Let the Lord acknowledge the power of your covenant, that you will never violate it. Allow your nation to not pay attention to the person who is going to tell us that we have violated. You have said that if the righteous one falls, he should get back up. Let's not listen to this voice. If we have, let's not listen to this voice that accuses us. If we have a desire toward heaven, this means that we have not lost the war, we have just lost the battle. But the war has already been won by you, and finally you will show the difference. Finally you will bring us to victory. Perhaps some of those who are listening already have control of their essence and are at peace within themselves, but some are still in turmoil. Satan ha accuses them through their own flesh. Only in the covenant of salt, this flesh is able to lose its power because the power of salt will destroy every power of sin every power of lust, the flesh, fear, and fleshly lust will die from the action of salt. May your salt be blessed, the salt of the covenant, that you have given us the opportunity to partake in. Allow us to understand these powers so that we cannot reap as many had done in their time and will do when you come during harvest. We thank you for your church, your word, for your people, for your Holy Spirit, for your word. And we bow down our heads before you. Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Amen. Our Father in heaven, Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, 
and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the hand of the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And now, all together, let's proclaim our unchanging manifestation. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To God, our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen.